Dear friends, welcome back to this latest episode of the podcast series, The Way Out is In. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems evolution. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Plum Village, a student of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. And Brother, today we're going to be talking about generosity and how to cultivate it in our ways of thinking, speaking and acting. The way out is in. Hello, everyone. I am Joe Confino. And I am Brother Fab Hu. Um, Brother Fab Hu, we're going to talk today about generosity. And and um, if you remember, uh, when we were discussing, what should we talk about today? Um, and what came immediately to my mind was generosity. And the reason is that um, I recently came back with my wife. We were in New York for five weeks. And um, before we went, I put a photograph on Instagram, just saying, oh, I'm really excited to be coming back to New York. And out of the blue, I received a direct message from a woman in New York who I don't know, saying, I love your podcast so much that I want to invite you and your wife to come and stay in our apartment when you're in New York. And um, as I said, I'd never met her. Complete trust. We arrived. She put us up for two weeks. And during that, we got COVID. And she attended to us so beautifully to the extent that every morning she would send up by text a menu of the morning. So we could have scrambled eggs with toast. We could have a super green smoothie. We could have this or that. And, um, and at the end, when we left, I said, you've been a real teacher for me about generosity because you don't know me. You had to offer real trust you've been super generous. And, um, and I don't think I would have done the same. And so it made me start to question what actually is generosity. And if I couldn't be like her with that type of generous, generosity, where am I generous? And what is the purpose of generosity? What, what can it do for us? So, so anyway, that's, that was the sort of genesis of the thought for doing this podcast. But so as usual, brother, I'm going to come straight to you. Um, to say, what can you give us a sense of what what is the meaning and importance of generosity in Buddhism in general, but also in the Plum Village tradition? First of all, thank you, dear friend in New York, for taking care of Joe and Paz, because when they came back to Plum Village, they are happy and fresh. And uh, we are continuing this podcast. Thanks to all the generous, thanks to all of the generosity of all of you listeners and supporter of this podcast. I want to start with um, generosity. It has a nature of interbeing in it because generosity is caring for someone outside of us or caring for something outside of us. And if you've listened to this podcast, um, you know we talk a lot about how to bring happiness to oneself as well as how to bring happiness to others. And our practice in Buddhism 
is to touch the insight of no self in us. No self means that uh, we cannot exist by ourselves. If we start to remove all of the elements that are present in us from the very fundamental, which is our um, parents, then our ancestors, then our spiritual ancestors, and then our conditions of life, which is uh, food, the sunshine, the blue sky, the rains, the air that we breathe in. So everything that is present is a support to us. But because we also have ego, or in Buddhism, we, we call it manas. And manas is a layer in our consciousness, which uh, allows us to want to grasp, want to move on and want to do. And, and it's always looking for something outside of itself, never feeling fulfilled. And it creates many, many habits. And um, manas forgets that we cannot exist by ourselves, And we, it forgets um, that we have to rely on others. And so in the practice of Buddhism, if we are a true practitioner, we would actually become more caring for others, uh, more caring for our environment, more caring for even the simplest thing, even the door that you have at, the, at your house. You would want to open and close it mindfully so you can have gratitude to the simple things in life. So generosity is the practice of non-self, is the practice of love in, in all of its element. And generosity is a very big practice in all Buddhist schools. Um, in Plum Village, in our mindfulness trainings, in especially the 14th mindfulness training, we have the 13th mindfulness training on generosity as well as in the monastic um, training, when we become a fully ordained monk, which is a bhikkhu or, or a fully ordained nun, a bhikkhuni, the literal translation of the word bhikkhu, it means beggar. Because when we commit ourselves to the life of a monk or a nun, we are determined to practice the way that allow us to enter into liberation, allow us to cultivate insight that allows us to touch true freedom in us. And that means we have to let go of everything. And concretely, we have to let go of our career, our profession, our family, our belongings. And so suddenly we become beggars and we live on the generosity of people. And when the Buddha started uh, his journey, he let go of everything and he was looking for a different um, dress code when he started and he was in the forest. And according to O Path White Cloud, which is a wonder, one of my favorite books, a wonderful book that our teacher wrote telling the story of the Buddha and making the Buddha human again, um, the Buddha was in the forest and he saw a monk. And, but actually it wasn't a monk because it was a hunter who disguised himself in the robe of a monk because 
um, the animal would think that it's safe to be around this monk. And so the Buddha saw that this wasn't correct. At that time, it was only Siddhartha. He wasn't yet the Buddha. And so the Buddha, uh, Siddhartha, traded his jewelry and his clothes um, to this hunter and then adorned himself in this very simple robe. And because of the form of letting go, it also supports the determination in the mind. So suddenly, the Siddhartha was by himself practicing day and night in the forest. But once a day, we still need to feed ourselves. So Siddhartha would go into the village and go house to house without discrimination and beg for food. And because in the nature of humanity, there is love and there is care. It's actually a very natural habit that we have, or, or I can say the seed of love that is alive in all of us. And so when we see a beggar, especially someone who begs for the purpose of spiritual realization, and you as a lay practitioner wouldn't commit yourself to that, but still need those in the world who would devote their life to spirituality, you want to support them, even by just the littlest um, amount you can offer it, even if it's just one spoon of rice or, or a piece of bread and so on. And so the Bu Siddhartha um, would every day uh, practice like that one time and would eat one meal a day. And out of the generosity of the villagers, Siddhartha was able to have the condition to meditate, to look deeply and touch liberation and touch full awakening and became the Buddha. And from that became our form in the monastic order. So the monastic um, would beg every day um, like the Buddhist time, but by, by time when Buddhism continued to grow um, throughout Southeast Asia, um, it took many different forms and there was many different ways of, of offering and giving and receiving. When a monk received, we also know that it doesn't come for free because when we receive something, it comes from the, not only the love, but the trust of the people. And when we ha have that realization, we don't take for granted the food that we get or the shelter that we are provided with or the simple uh, uh, robe that is being offered to us. It, it becomes a means and, and um, a motivation for us to wholeheartedly practice to not disappoint all of the offering that is given to us. So it's a two-way, it's a reminder of um, the love that is there and it's also a motivation for us um, to, to practice wholeheartedly in order to offer back all of the love given to us. And generosity is a very safe space to work from. Um, because in generosity, we won't be a victim of wealth and power because our mind is always um, cultivating true love, which is love not just for oneself, but love for all. So generosity becomes a base for our spiritual practice. And it, 
it is something to be continue to be cultivated in one individual, and all of us um, we can look and reflect on ourselves and to see how generous are we, and that is on the level of material. But in the practice of Buddhism, which later on Thai taught um, in Plum Village with the language and the direction of applied Buddhism, engaged Buddhism, generosity is not only within um, the material wealth that we have or the material possession that we're able to give to others, but generosity is learning. Also, to be present for those who you love. In our in our times, um, especially with the holidays coming up, we are going to be encountering a lot of advertisement telling us how to love by giving, and this is a very skillful means for for shops and for um, materials to um, to be created and for for riches to come into individuals. We're going to be bombarded by this. And it's it tells us to love someone. You want to give them something in order to show your love. And sometimes uh, when you receive it, it also is is a way of expression of status. Also, but in the teachings of the Buddha and the teachings of Thai, generosity can also come by sharing our time together, sharing our true presence, sharing. Our time to have a deep conversation—that is—that is generosity. Also, it's actually easier to give something rather to spend time with someone. It is actually easier to buy you a gift rather than come and offer you a smile, <laughs> because because we we then encounter each other and encounter each other's habit, each other's. Um, Difficulties, and then we we start to uh, feel um, maybe a little bit of seeing our our own shortcoming by knowing that we're not able to to give our true self to someone. During Thai's Dharma talk, when Thai teaches on love, Thai would always tell this story, and it really stayed with me. Because there was um, a businessman that came to Plum Village to practice, and um, he later after after um, the retreats, uh, he would come again and again. And one time, he told this story to Tai, is that uh, one day he came home to his son, and he realized that in two weeks his, it would be his son's birthday, and out of habit, he just comes up to his son and say. My dear, it's almost your birthday. What is it that you want? Tell me anything, and I will provide it for you. As as I just let me check this off my list, as as um, as a duty of a father. But this time around, the son was a little bit silent, and after thinking, the son looked to uh, his father in the eye, and he said, 
I don't need anything. All I want is you. And that story uh, stayed with Tai. And Tai later on in the teaching, Tai said, if the father had had a um, a deep practice, his father would breathe in and out mindfully, establish himself in the present moment, and and look at his son in the eyes, and say, "My dear, I am here for you right now." And not wait until the birthday to give that, but it is here and now. This gener this generosity that we have to practice is is such an important element in in connection and uh, in the teachings of Buddhism. There's also the teachings on the six paramitas, and paramita it means a perfect understanding, perfect realization. And to have a perfect understanding, it will allow us to arrive at the other shore. And this is an image that is uh, given to us in the school of Mahayana Buddhism, meaning that we are practicing to reach uh, enlightenment. But um, Thai has um, translated it as crossing to the other shore. We have different paramitas practice, and the first paramita is practicing generosity, offering, because uh, we want to be able to touch interbeing in our daily life, and we want to see that uh, by having connection, by taking care of others, you actually become much richer. I had the greatest um, honor to be Thai's attendant. And the first thing you trained is to think of your teacher Tai as you. You have to practice selflessness right away. If you can't, you will be a very bad attendant because you won't be attentive to the need of your teacher. You won't know what he, what he, uh, how he walks, uh, how he sits, uh, how he drinks his cup of tea. Uh, and you can't connect to that if you are not open, and so generosity is also a practice of openness by seeing others outside of you as you, and that's a very very deep and profound practice. And in our monastic training, and I would say in any community training, we have to practice this. You cannot establish a community. If we don't learn to care for others, and we in Plum Village, we we live with at least one to three roommates, and that practice is the practice of no self. And once a year, we would change roommate, so we get to live with someone else in our community, and that is a practice of generosity. That's a practice of learning to open your heart. It is a practice of learning to care for your fellow brother, sister, friend, and it's beautiful because the more you're generous, the more you will learn. And um, we we have some set rules. Um, for example, in the upper hamlet, all of our room have a tea area, and that tea area becomes a little bit public. So none of us we lock our doors. In the monastery, in in our personal rooms, and um, 
if I come to Brother Nim Tung's um, room and none of the hosts are there, none of the roomies are, are there, but I see a piece of chocolate and it's on that it's on that um, tea table, like in principle with quotation. Um, I would be able to eat that, and the brothers wouldn't feel like I stole it from them, or they, or or that there wasn't permission because we established like a common, common um, space in our our own room where we can share everything. And um, the rule is like, if it's there, it's for everyone. If you want it for yourself, keep it in your shelf beside your bed, and that that's a practice because. We all have different level of generosity, and we're not here to force everyone to be as open like that. But there are rules, and and we 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 set kind of um, guidelines to help us become more generous. And once a year during this great room change day, we also have a space for um, communal letting go, and. Um, it's a wonderful practice because when we change room, it's also an opportunity not just to change roommate, but we're also changing our way of life. So we get to look back at all of our possession that we have. We may have accumulated way too many cups, way too many teapots, way too many notebooks, for example. And then at that moment, we say, oh, I have more than enough and I would like to let this go. And some of the things that I have seen in the community have been rotating within the brother's room for years. So I had I had this tea tray that was um, offered to me by someone in Vietnam almost uh, 15 years ago. And it is still in the monk's resident and it is with a different brother today. Yeah. So brother, th- that that is a great teaching on generosity. And, um, and within the monastery, you have you have the te- you have the broad teachings that help, and then you have the culture, and then you have the very specific practices. Uh, for a lot of people who are living <clears throat> sort of in, I was about to say the real world. Of course, this maybe <laughs> I think this is more the real world than outside. But but in in the busy world outside, people find it very difficult to be generous. Mm. Um, and as you said, there there are lots of pressures. So one pressure is time. Yeah. So people and we we've, we've done. Uh, we spent time on previous podcasts about busyness. Then when you're busy and stressed, it's very difficult to be generous. You talked about the culture, which is, you know, that it's amassing, it's individualism, it's it's amassing things. Um and and also people there's a lot of fake generosity. And and what, as you were talking, um one example came to mind. I remember many, many years ago um hearing Emma Thompson, the actress talking. She was at that time the ambassador of one of the big sort of charities. And she said, you know what, a lot of people who look as though they're being generous and giving to charities, let's say, to help uh, starving children in Africa. She said, what they're doing, they're not actually being generous, they're actually giving money to push the problem away. So actually, they say, I've done my bit. And now I can, you know, I can put it out of my mind. I, I've done my help, but now I, I don't have to worry about it. And also, um, you know, you talked about the 13th mindfulness training in the Order of Interbeing. And, and one of the things it talks about there is that actually the cause of exploitation, social injustice, stealing, is actually comes from a lack of generosity, comes from a, saying, I want to dominate, I want to own things. And 
I sort of, I understand that, brother, because in my childhood, um, you know, I felt I wasn't really very, I didn't feel I was very worthy. I was the youngest of six kids. I always had the hand-me-downs. I had very little money. I had very few possessions. And so in a sense, I grew up wanting to grasp things. So you've talked a lot about sort of actually releasing that, that, you know, the beauty of life is to release things, to be generous, because if you're generous, then actually you also develop generosity for yourself. It's not one way, it goes both ways. If you're truly generous, you truly receive that generosity back. But it's so hard, because actually there's so many pressures saying, actually, it's mine, I want it, I need it, I need a big one, I need another one. So I'm just wondering, you know, for how would you say it's best to practice generosity? How, how do we go from this sense of taking and wanting and grasping to a sense of real generosity? Because, because there's so much, you know, there's so much um, uh, sacrifice often in generosity. It's basically, it looks generous, but actually people give because they want to take something. And so they then never receive the benefit of that. So actually it, it just keeps on going round in circles of people pretending to be generous with each other, but actually underneath just wanting something from that. So how do we sort of turn that around? The way out is in. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> we, it's, it's very interesting what you said, because I've also encountered a lot of friends who have generosity, um, but sometimes they're also seeking a lot of validation. And so in the generosity, there is also a lot of clinging to it. Um, but I would speak as a monk and from the, the teachings, um, what you just shared in your um, example from your own childhood and so on, that is going inwards. That's identifying where this grasping is coming from. And uh, all of us, no matter from what status um, that we are coming from, there is a need of wanting to be loved. There's a need of wanting to feel like I exist and to have that validation, to have that um, attention. And if we are, if we grew up um, not having a lot, which I also didn't have a lot, um, you know, when my family first came to Canada, we were refugees. And uh, when all of um, my my father and mother's uh, relative who came by boat all were doing two jobs a day, finally had enough money, bought one house, one house uh, with three stories, uh, three floors, and I remember growing up in that house and we had about five families. Every room was a room to stay in. There's no living room. There's no uh, um, uh, different rooms, but there was only a kitchen, a place to eat, and everything else was room for families. And we truly did learn to share everything. Um, but at the same time, we we're always um, practicing that, uh, that I cannot wait to have a career to provide more for my family. 
And uh, unfortunately, I became a monk. So <laughs> it didn't, didn't work with it you. It didn't work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> the rebel. <laughs> um, but but what I um, but what I'm able to offer now is presence and 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 stability in my my own self. But coming back to my own um, experience. Living in the Sangha has has um, so many opportunity for practice because, like you said, it is the world. It touches all of the buttons in you. It touches all of the suffering that you go through. When uh, when we live in a community, we have brothers and sisters who come from very wealthy family. Um, those who are very educated. Uh, those who are less educated. Those who come from very poor families. And and sometimes you really have to practice truly coming back to oneself and and just identifying jealousy when it arises, especially when we have family members come and they bring um, their son or their daughter um, a new jacket or something, and that 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 is a practice for you. You have to practice to see that the love and the care that the family is providing for someone. And when the seed of jealousy arise, you have to practice just like recognizing your mindful in-breath and out-breath. You have to call your jealousy by its true name and identify, oh, my inner child is feeling wounded. When he or she or they were young, that child didn't have a chance to have that jacket. And this is why the feeling is arising. And this this practice of recognition, that is mindfulness. And that is also healing and transformation. Because when you can recognize it, call it by its name, embrace it, and start to talk to it, you know, say, okay, but now I'm a monk, I'm a nun. I don't need so much. I have more than enough conditions to live, to be here. And to talk to the wounded child within and share to it from a space of vulnerability but love and tenderness and saying, oh, I know when we were young, we couldn't, uh, uh, we never had enough for um, that computer. Because this was my example. I remember um, when one of my friends uh, had a new computer that can connect to the internet and play video games. I, I, rem- I, I remember this so clearly. And, and we had a very old one that couldn't run the latest games. And I suffered so much. And I would, bra- I would keep nagging my mother um, to, to get a new computer. And now thinking about it, like I feel so much pain during that moment because my mother loved me so much and my father but they can barely provide, right? Just having food on the table was like the bare minimum. But I remember just that, just that nagging and just that wanting, grasping. And even though I remember I never got it, and, um, but now living in the community um, and living in the world that we are today with so much material wealth around, with a lot of computers, a lot of equipment, 
from time to time, even though I have enough, that that want still manifests. It's because it has been a suffering of the past, and and every time that it comes up, I do have to breathe with it, smile to it, and give it a chance to just be. But then we call it embracing it with the energy of mindfulness, because with mindfulness you have. Your attention, you have your deep looking, and then you have other energies that you can invite, such as generosity is one of them, and and telling yourself that it's okay, I have more than enough now. I I was very lucky by coming to this community very very at a very early age, where I was taught um, without without speaking. How to care for others, because we we live in a community where even if you come for a retreat, you, you you're you're invited to come to the service meditation, which is to offer. Uh, you, you know, you can have you can put on this cap like, wait, I paid for this. Why do I have to uh, sweep the grounds? Why do I have to join uh, the wash up team or join the toilet team or cut vegetable? I paid for this. This is my time, right? But when you come to a community like this, actually, I I don't know for others. I'm sure it's for some it will manifest, but for myself, that mind never manifested, and it was just more like we're all sharing this planet together. We're all enjoying this space together, and I want to be a part in caring for it, and so that generosity. Is brought out from the energy of the collective, and so I was um, embedded with this teaching just by being in retreats with the community, and and suddenly when when my family later on had more conditions in life, especially when I became a monk, um, my mother and sister and father would send me care package from time to time. And in the care package would be like more socks, um, um, some some chocolate bars, some uh, some tea, and and so on. And you know, the first thing I always thought think about is, I want to share this to my whole community, because without this community, I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't have this opportunity of transformation, and I wouldn't have this opportunity of growth. So the first intention is not even me; it's like others, and but it started from a, already the practice of recognizing the wound within. So I think all of us we have a wounded um, child, and maybe that child can have a mark of not having enough. And so whenever jealousy manifests. And and these different mental formation comes up. Uh, even hatred, we might hate when we see others happy, and it's because we never had that. And if we continue to let that mental formation stay, and that becomes a negative energy, it will become our thought, our speech, and our action. So. The practice of generosity is coming home to oneself, and being generous with oneself in caring for oneself also. So, in the Dharma realm, 
The practice of generosity begins with oneself. You have to come home to oneself. You have to meet your past. Um, meet your wounded child and embrace it, take care of it, and offer it unconditional love. And But this is a process. It's not a one meditation session and it's done. Even today, you know, I these 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 um, seeds from the past would come up, and I I gotta practice again and again and again, and that's why, for me, the practice or even enlightenment or paramitas, perfect realization, it's a continuous cultivation. So generosity becomes a mindfulness training, and it becomes a compass for our life because it helps us um, grow deeper every day. In, in all my experience in running or participating in workshops, I see that people are, find it much easier to be generous to other people than themselves. That often uh, people don't feel they're worthy, they don't feel they deserve it, they feel there's something wrong with them. And so when actually someone's generous to them, they find it very, very difficult to receive it. And... Um, and what you said is absolutely true. And I think Ty gives the example of if if you have a bowl and it's empty of water, then you can't give anything. But if it's naturally overflowing, if you if you come home to yourself, if you're generous to yourself, if you build your own love for oneself, then actually you can then naturally be generous and loving to others. But if you don't love yourself and you don't feel you're worthy and you don't feel you deserve anything, then how on earth is it possible to be generous to anyone else. Um, the other thing you said, brother, which I thought was really important to bring out was, um, was that generosity comes with intimacy or proximity. So everything you've described is that in, a, in this community, you're within a small geographical area, you share rooms, you share your lives very, very deeply, and you're always on top of each other. You're always, you're always around each other. And so actually you feel very deeply if something's going wrong in the community or if something's going wrong in a relationship, it becomes very apparent and, and you want to deal with it. Whereas in the world around us, often there's no intimacy. People don't know. And I, I, I give the example because I've, I've done it myself and I, I feel still guilty about these things. But, but you know, when I'm, let's say I'm, I'm hiring a car and something goes wrong, if I'm on the phone to somebody... I tend to be much more angry than if I am standing in front of the counter at the office where I'm seeing the person. And I think we're seeing this with social media, aren't we? That, that when things are anonymized, that people express a lot of anger and disrespect and, and there's a lot of bitterness and, and attack. But when those people are face to face with each other, then they would act 
totally differently. And um, and I think one of the things about Plum Village is it is a trailblazer of community living because I think what we're increasingly seeing is this move away from globalization back to local living, local communities, local economies. And I think in those situations, when you buy your eggs from the farmer you know down the road, also you'll probably be prepared to pay more money for it because you know where the farmer is living and you know what his needs are and you know how difficult his life is. But when you go to the supermarket and you just buy a dozen eggs and you think, well, you know, and the supermarket's trying to reduce the price as much as possible to get you to buy them and so squeezing the farmer and you're never in contact with the farmer. So you don't care. You just want the cheapest possible product. So I think generosity actually is all about connection and intimacy because it's like sitting here with you now, you know, I feel this love and warmth towards you, whereas if I'd never met you and you were on the phone, you know, we'd be doing this, but actually there'd be the most significant element would be missing. Mm. Yeah, and luckily um, you moved here <laughs> <laughs> for us to to do this. Um, and, and, you know, and I think generosity, when we work from that base, we were much freer. I, I, I take this podcast for an example we, I, I came to you with the intention just to ask for some advice because you are so seasoned in your... You old. <laughs> <laughs> seasoned sounds nicer. I know, it does. <laughs> um, as, 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 as a human being, but also as a journalist, right? And I wanted to get some advice on how to ask questions and so on. But then when you said, why don't we do it together? The word together for me was like, yes, let's do it. I don't want to do this alone. And... We are free because we, we, we are offering this podcast from time. Um, we, we create time to, to be present. Um, we create time to see each other, have a cup of tea, um, ask how we are doing, and then talk about what, we're, what, we will, what we will share and then giving each other space to offer and and from the space of generosity that we both have invested in this podcast, I feel it's so free when whenever I do it. And, and that's why I don't feel ever like pressure or I feel um, like it's a job. But if anything, it's always a gift just to be able to share with one another and then continue for it to uh, be part of other people's life um, throughout their week while they listen. So for me, like generosity is a very safe space to to cultivate um, giving. When we want to give, if it comes from generosity, a true gen- generosity, you will also heal your inner child. Because we're always growing and the generosity, the generous that we, we grow in us can also um, come back to the past and heal. But it's, it's not like you don't have to go back and like, um, because I didn't get that computer, I'm going to buy that computer. But you grow as a human being because now you can offer in so many other ways. So that's, all the, that's also another element in this teaching is to see that we're always changing and the conditions that we have now are very different. And to also highlight that and to see that by having something, but it, it may not be exactly what we wanted by as a child or so on, 
we can be liberated and free by the condition now, because not having enough is also can become a trap. Um, and and Tai used to give this teaching for for parents to their children when they um, as for many parents when they were young, they may not had the opportunity to, for example, learn to play the piano, or. Um, play a guitar, or be a singer, or wear a dress. And when they have a child, they they imprint their past to their child. What they couldn't have, they enforce it in their child. And that offers so much suffering to the child. The child feels suffocated. The child felt not understood, but rather um, enforced. And so for. From if we cannot be free from the past of not having enough and and practicing with it, our daily action can have the shadow of the past, and that can offer a lot and a lot of suffering. And we have offered a lot of children uh, programs, retreats, and teenager retreat, and a lot of the children through. The practice of beginning anew, they are able to share to their parents when the parents make them suffer. And from time to time, we would hear a child express when their mother forces something, something that they, the parents, want the child to do, but the child doesn't want to do it. And so we can also understand that in this in this practice, we can see that our daily action. Whether it offers love or not, can be a practice of generosity. If we, if we're trying to um, restore our youth within our child, that may be love without understanding, because we are not seeing that child as the child, as our continuation, but we're seeing that child as the wounded child of us, and we want it to be perfect. And we give it everything that we couldn't have, but are we sure that 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 is is true love? So, brother, I'll give you an example of that. Um, I was uh, a few weeks ago um, uh, running a workshop and giving a, a speech in San Diego at a big conference, and um, and I at this workshop I ran. It was actually I gave it the name of one of our previous podcasts. It was how to pathways through. Um, uh, through busyness, overwhelm, and burnout. And there were about 40 people in the room. And what I was asking people to do was to deeply reflect on their lives and how, how they were and what, what could they change and, and the rest of it. And three quarters of the way through, one of the men just walked out. Uh, and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, maybe he's not enjoying or whatever. And he came back and at the end, we did a sharing of each person gave gave a commitment to change one aspect or to experiment with changing one aspect of their lives. And uh, and this man said, um, actually, I walked out because I phoned my daughter because I realised, as we were all sharing, that I'd been putting a lot of pressure on her to be a certain way and I'm not really listening to her. And so I went, I went out the room to phone her, to apologise to her and to say, actually, I just want to now listen to you and, and understand who you are. And it was, it's, it was such a powerful moment 
because it was just like, it was exactly what you said. It, it was mindfulness in action because it's going from this automatic sort of subconscious, unconscious behavior to suddenly he suddenly saw what he was doing and realized actually he was not creating a loving relationship. He was trying to force someone. And I mean, Thai's teaching is very much around, especially with children, do not force them or try through propaganda, through money, through anyway, you know, that, that if you try and force a child to be someone who they're not, that actually it's a huge disservice to them. Mm, mm. And, you know, the practice of generosity, we can all start today. Um, in in Thai's, um, one of Thai's Dhamma talk, Thai said that each day, a smile is a gift that we can offer. And um, one of the greatest practice that I have made a, a, a real habit for me is the practice of a smile. And it's because when growing up, um, seeing how hard my parents worked, um, the greatest moments with my parents were when we were all together and we're all had a smile for each other. And and it was so simple, but it was so rare because they were so busy uh, for all the right reasons to provide for me and my sister. And later on when becoming a monk, um, you, you meet your past so much in our practice, like meeting um, the suffering of our parents, you know. Sometimes I just at the dining table, uh, I realized I took way more food than I need. And it's because there was fear in the family during the war and so on of not having enough food. And so you're constantly meeting your past. And in one of the Dhamma talks that Tai gave us, uh, he said, learn to smile to your past. And that, that uh, teaching became my way of healing and my way of saying, you have enough now. And that smile is a very profound um, offering of real presence. And uh, I always, at least once a day, I know I can offer a smile to one person. And I think this is a simple act, but it is an act of true love and an act of like, I see you. I see you for who you are and thank you for being there as simple as that. And um, in in my um, darkest moments uh, so far, I'm still young, um, but uh, you forget about the smile and you can become very, very negative. And I remember that uh, during that time, when I was able to smile to my difficulty as a gift to myself, I realized that ah, I'm still alive because I can smile. Because I'm alive, there is a chance for transformation. And that is also being generous to oneself, knowing that as practitioners, we we will face difficulties, we will face um, moments when we want to give up. And we have to remember that we have to be generous to ourselves, to know that the suffering and the difficulty are also a teacher for us. And 
for me, if I wasn't able to be generous to myself, then I think I would have been much more selfish, and I would have left um, the community and left the path, and just to take care of my little happiness, whatever that may be, whatever that mind is saying that the grass is greener on that on that field over there. Um, but um, in moments of suffering, we will become very judgmental, very. Uh, limited in our energy of presence, not capable of of um, smiling, uh, not able of listening, and that is when you know that you are becoming less generous to others and to yourself. So, in the practice element of generosity, in those moments, we have to come back to the fundamental practice and just. Give yourself that time and that space to sit, to look, to be with oneself, to have intention in, in, uh, in meeting people. I because uh, you, at that time I remember, um, I'm usually a very happy monk, and people have uh, like a view like, oh, you know, brother, who he loves having tea. Let's go have tea with him. But everything that during those times, like every every encounter, was like suffocating for me, and 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 I was avoiding. It became a habit of avoiding, and so when I was able to like look and recognize, I'm not being generous to myself, and because and I'm pushing people away. But if I actually just give myself space, I will cultivate more space for me, which allow me to be present with for others. And so the practice is also a space to come home and to be generous with oneself. Even in those times, your mind may be screaming, "Like get out of here!" You know that is just an, an emotion, and all emotion comes and go. And so we have to have an anchor. And for me, that anchor was just mindful breathing, being present. Just physically with my community, I just I went to sitting, walking, even if in my body and mind it was screaming like I don't want to be here, but I have to also just take refuge in the community, take refuge in the practice because I know in the practice there is a generosity that will allow me space, and so this is a practice. Generosity is a practice. It's not just. Giving, giving, giving. We can give, 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 but that can become a habit, and like you said, that can become fake at one moment. And so, to not lose oneself is also a practice of generosity. And Thai taught us sometimes, you know, um, we have to learn to say no. It may be the most difficult thing because there is so many requests coming in, and every request is. Is to is to provide a spiritual practice. Is to provide um, stability, teachings that can help people. But if you don't know your limit, then you will not know how to love yourself, and you will also um, lose yourself in this, and therefore you don't become generous with oneself. So in our generosity, there is also a limit. We have to know our limit. We have to know how much we can give. As well as how much 
we want to give so we can work towards that in order to be able to offer. Thank you, brother. That that's so important because generosity has to come from what your capacity is. And if someone's trying to force you to go beyond your capacity, then it can't be generous anymore because mm. it's it's an act of sacrifice and an act of suffering. And so, actually, you know, we can't expect everyone to have the same levels of generosity. So that if I feel I'm more generous in one way, to expect someone else to actually be generous in the same way. Is a madness in a sense because that person may have a completely different capacity. So I think one of the things we have to be very good, become much better at, is actually being aware that if we're giving, not to expect anything back. Mm-hmm. Because if you expect anything back and then it doesn't hit meet the grade, then actually you will judge that person. So actually, generosity is actually about taking back judgments as well. But brother, one one thing I just wanted to bring out. So Tignatan was in a sense, the um, the founder of the idea of engaged Buddhism. And in fact, uh, I was talking to uh, a friend in another tradition and her teacher had just been saying to her that actually he was so appreciative of Thich Nhat Hanh because Thich Nhat Hanh's showing that actually Buddhism is not about sitting on a cushion but about acting in the world had actually given permission for many other teachers to show up in that way. Mm. But um, but the thirteenth mindfulness training, as I said before, is a does refer to sort of you know that the lack of generosity creates social injustice. It creates a sense of um, you know imperialism, domination. So I'm just wondering, you know, because of course everything has to happen on a on the the scale of individuals changing. Mm-hmm. But but do you have anything to share about Thai's vision for the world in terms of how can generosity actually start to reshape the, the the system we live in, which is actually tilted towards grabbing, amassing, uh, taking, exploiting, um, extracting. Um, and all those are because people feel they don't have enough, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're not going to keep taking, taking from other people you know are suffering if if you don't if you feel you already have have enough. So I'm just wondering on on that sort of global scale, how Thai um, was viewing this. Yes. Um, Thai knows that um, the world also works on um, resources. And so, you know, Thai wasn't like um, against people being rich or, or, or like telling people to give, give, give. Like we're very aware that there's so many levels to society. Um, but, Yes, Thai's vision for it is a more compassionate society. Um, and he envisioned that uh, we definitely need uh, great ethics, the, the, the trainings of ethics, understanding um, of our, how our actions uh, implement our daily life. And our mindfulness trainings, in a way, we, we, we believe it has... Um, it can contribute to a more um, healthy society if you take time to 
read the five mindfulness trainings as well as the 14 mindfulness trainings, it is a very clear guideline in in all of the ways how action have have consequences uh, in daily life. And every mindfulness training starts with aware of, that means mindfulness of. And talking about um, about the world, you know, Tai Tai one time told me, I, I think it was privately, um, Tai said that one time, Tai wished that w- one day we won't have different nationalities and we won't be discriminated by the passport that we're holding, what color it is. And then because if you come from this country, you're already labeled like this and therefore you have to apply for this visa. You need that screening. You need that screening. And they ask for your bank account. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Like Tai said, why can't we just see that the earth is our home? Sure, we, we need to have some protection, some um, some guards, because even though our deepest aspiration is that we all become more kinder in our daily life, but reality is that there is always going to be those who will take advantage of of humans of life and 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 uh, create uh, a mess and so we do need laws and we do need rules but these rules and laws can come from the space of love and um, talking about um, even prison you know like Thai wish that the prison would uh, instead of just punishment it is also a way to to teach about reflection like why am I here how am I here you know to look at the past present and future and even ancestral so every opportunity is a deep looking moment and um, definitely about sharing on Thai we talk a lot about um, creating um, a board that uh, knows how to to look at the well-being of all. And I think Tai was very um, excited when the UN was formed, <laughs> as well as, you know, I remember when the when Europe became the European Union, Tai was very happy. And he wished he wished that Asia one day would have a a, a union as such. With of course Tai's wish would be that there would be m- much more um, shared value within the country, much more shared happiness. Look at all of each other's suffering as one. That should be the principle of of a um, of a union. But I think reality sometimes doesn't show that. But the intention is there, and and I think that is it, it all comes home to community. And I think, um, like you said, it starts from um, an individual. Um, space, so I can say that what I envision is Plum Village. <laughs> it comes from his deepest wish is a community that that has a practice that has life that supports each other, um, and and so on. and And I think I call it a village for a reason. He didn't call it a monastery, even though we are a monastery, but. I, I truly believe Tai had a dream and it's I think it is becoming that, you know, people will live 
close to Plum Village, and the ones who live close to Plum Village, they they work in a career where supports their practice, and then they can take refuge in the community or practice. Not every day because everybody has work, but you know, come here for the precept recitation, come here for a day of mindfulness once a week, and so on. And slowly, I've I've learned that we have more than a hundred families that have moved around Plum Village to be close to us. You are one of them. Ta-da! <laughs> and then I think um, there's even you know a little shop has been created from our friends who live here selling organic food and so on. And I, and I feel some families are looking into ways of creating uh, a school. Uh, that is linked to Plum Village and so on, and and so I think Tai's vision was a healthy society with um, with um, good ethics, whether it is uh, Buddhism or not. But we are <laughs> a Buddhist monastery, and you know, in the history of Vietnam, Buddhism played a a very important role during the crisis during the Trung and the Li Dynasty and different crises that and Buddhism was the harmonizer because it was the the teachings for for all beings no discrimination so brother that's a brilliant segue because i have one final question for you okay because in the 13th which is about non-discrimination because again in the 13th mindfulness training on generosity it says we will practice loving kindness by working for the happiness of people animals plants and minerals now for a lot of people who have no connection to Buddhism, you know, minerals, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You know, this sense of, this extraordinary sense of time, non-discrimination, that he does not discriminate between minerals and people and plants and animals. Can you just tell us a bit about this sense, this idea of generosity being non-discriminatory, about that minerals are as important as people? That actually, what is it to practice loving kindness for minerals? It, it comes from the heart of compassion because um, if, we, if we take a deep look into our own bodies, there's so many bacterias in us and, and we're, we are not a self, right? Ta-da! <laughs> um, but in us, there are many, 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 many uh, selves in us. Um, but, and then if we bring ourselves out into the world, Every, every form, there's living organism there. And because as humans, we, we developed, um, our ego became quite, quite big <laughs> and very dominant and very violent. Whatever we don't like, we destroy. Whatever we, uh, we want, we take, um, Whatever we we see that's not ours, we come and invade. So it comes from a very, very aggressive energy. And because of this, um, this energy creates view of belonging and wanting and killing. We, we, we start to harm so much, not just humans, but we start to harm animals. We start to harm the environment. And in the environment, we can talk about many layers. And one of them is minerals. And um, it, it is just to, to, to know that 
even walking on this earth is a practice. You know, the reason why we have the rains retreat uh, tradition is because during the Buddha Sangha, when uh, the rainy season in India, a lot of the worms and bugs would come out because of the rain and they would have to walk through many fields. And by walking, you kill a lot of insect and you may harm the, cor- um, the, the crops and, and so on. And even seeing that, the Buddha said, okay, for the rain season, we're not going to travel. We're going to stay within the boundaries in order to create less harm, harm by walking. So, so this is a continuous evolution in our practice, in the understanding of living beings and us, the cosmos and us. And when we speak about all minerals is to remind us that there is so many living organism in even the littlest form that we may not even see so that it can remove, help bring us back to the understanding of interbeing, of interconnectedness. You know, this is, um, this brings up a story uh, which I had with Tai. Tai loves to cook. Tai is actually a very good cook. Uh, one of his um, um, dishes that I enjoy cooking is pho, uh, vegetarian pho. And to boil the pho, uh, the noodle, we have to do it in hot water. And when, when I was um, cooking with Thai, you know, I was about to, um, um, how do you say it? To drain, to drain the noodle in um, those. In a sieve. In a sieve, exactly. And I was about to do that. And Thai said, wait, um, let Thai close the, the sink yeah. and pour cold water to make, when you pour the hot water in the sieve, that becomes warm water so that when it goes down the drain, it doesn't kill all the bacteria. Oh, wow. And <laughs> this was totally new. It blew my mind. I'm like, right. I never even thought to that degree. And Tai said, yes, because this comes from compassion. So y- y- you see that love and compassion can always be grown. You may think that you're a loving person because like you said hello to someone, <laughs> but there's so many degrees to, 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 to growing our hearts and to seeing beyond the humans. And Tai even said, you know, as vegetarian, it's not true that we don't kill because while um, cutting a vegetable, it is taking its, its life away but the the vegetable can regrow and it doesn't have the cries and the pain like an animal and nature also has its its gift to us to provide for us and you know Tai once said in a Dhamma talk Tai believe that all of us we we are actually um we were born to be vegetarian we don't have teeth to eat meat and um and and so but later on, you know, we evolved and we created ways to um, uh, to be who we are as humanity. But um, so these practice in these mindfulness trainings, like even animals, plants, and minerals, is to to cultivate 
compassion for all beings. That's that's the base on it. And that even minerals have consciousness. Everything has consciousness. Exactly. Even the dust has consciousness. Exactly. Wow. Brother, thank you. Um, I started off uh, with my appreciation of the generosity of uh, our hosts in New York, Ilana and, um, and Neil. But actually, brother, can I just finish by appreciating we have a guest sitting with us in Thai's hut, Leanne um, from New York, who actually put us up in an apartment for the other two weeks we said, and showed us enormous generosity. So she's sitting here looking like, don't say Jemaita, don't say <laughs> So Leanne, this is a good chance for you to have experienced generosity to you. So um, thank you, Leanne, for hosting us also in New York. Um, brother, thank you very much. Um, as is customary, we normally end a podcast with a short uh, guided meditation. So I'm not sure if you would like to give us one today. I'm going to be generous. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Dear friends, whether you are going for a walk, going for a jog, uh, on a commute, sitting on a bus, in a taxi, or on an airplane, or cleaning your home, wherever you may be, whatever you may be doing, if you can just allow yourself to be still, either standing, sitting, laying down, and be generous to yourself, come back to yourself, become aware of your face, become aware of your shoulders, relax them, give attention to your arms, your fists, your palm, your chest, your back, your legs, your foot. And with an in-breath, offer gratitude to your body. With an out-breath, offer a smile to your body. Breathing in, I become aware of my whole body. Breathing out, I offer a smile to my body. In and out. Breathing in, I feel joy for having a body. Breathing out, I'm grateful to my body, allowing me to sit, to walk, to do. Breathing in, joy to the body. Breathing out, gratitude. Breathing in, I come home to myself. Embracing the feelings in me. Breathing out, I offer it a warm smile, the feeling, whether it is 
happiness, ease, peace, or even agitation, anger, or jealousy. Just recognizing the emotions and feelings in me and offering it the warmth of love and presence. Breathing in, I see my wounded child in me. Breathing out, I am here for the child. With space and freedom in my heart. Embracing, recognizing the child. In, I see you. Out, I am here for you. Breathing in with a generous heart, I offer my inner child the love that I have learned, the understanding that I have gained. Breathing out, I smile to the child with tenderness and compassion. Breathing in, I connect the past to the present by feeling alive here and now. Breathing out, I am taking care of the present and the future. In the past in the here and now, out, care for the present, and building a future. Breathing in, I take the love in my heart, and I send it to all of my ancestors. Breathing out, I am their continuation. Breathing in, I take my love, I offer it to the world, breathing out, 
I smile to the world inside of me and all around me. In, love, out, offer. Thank you, dear friends, for listening and practicing with us. Thank you, Brother Fap Hu. And um, dear listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast on generosity, there are many more you can listen to. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, other platforms that carry podcasts, and on our very own Plum Village app. And um, so... We have lots of people to thank, don't we, brother? So we have Global Optimism, who is our co-producer. We have uh, Clay and uh, Joe, who are sort of uh, editing. And we have brother Nim Tuan, who is here, who's been uh, doing all the uh, logistics and recording for us. And we would like to thank all of the donors who are supporting Plum Village and this podcast. And if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to continue to support it, as well as the international work of the Plum Village community, please visit www.tnhf.org slash donate. And thank you to the Thich Han Foundation for supporting us also. And for their generosity too. Yes. And we'll see all of you at another episode. Thank you. Bye. The way out is in.